Well, we got some articles to talk about today, and hopefully you've had a moment in the break there. Take a deep breath or two or three. Get a pause. And actually, we're serious. We're just talking about how much we enjoy our time with JJ, and I've enjoyed uh, the friendship with her over the years. I, I hope you guys take that stuff seriously. It's made a difference for me. Uh, I know it's made a difference for, for Jen, and I, I'm sure it would make a difference for you as well. And so as a reminder, InfoSec World, we got talking about that. Uh, Paul's going to make certain that I'm there. <laughs> Uh, InfoSec World is plan. March 19th to 21st in 2018. It's at Lake Buena Vista, Florida. If you don't know where that is, it's Disney World. It'll be at the Disney Contemporary Resort. They do a great job. It's, it is a fantastic facility. It's been a lot of fun. It's a conference that I've enjoyed in the past. And because you're one of our friends, you can save 15% off the main conference or the World Pass. Just use the code OS18-SW. There's an exclamation point in the read, but I'm pretty sure you don't need that in the code. Uh, and you're going to get talks. Uh, Adrian Sanabria, Diana Kelly, Ed Moyle, they're on the show uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, JJ, we just talked to. Joseph Zacharias, Mark Arnold, Matthias Madau. Madu? Madu. Madu. I know. I had it right in my head and then blew it. Summer Fowler. There's a ton more. It's, well, I've often enjoyed, uh, Paul, you said the other day, it's, it's a good size. It's a great location. There's great talks. I, I think one of the things we've talked about specifically on this program relative to the job that KT does is, you know, everybody always wants to have the next greatest sexy hot talk and, and they're there, but there's also a lot of those basic blocking and tackling, the things that we know we need to work on. And sometimes they're a little tough for us to admit to, or, or we don't know what we don't know. And I, I think you're going to get good coverage there. So hopefully we'll see you there. And uh, Paul and I will probably be walking the show floor. Got some ideas on how to help you walk the show floors a little bit better. And then we'll get back to RA for the days. All right. So, this section, as we've been working on it, so there, it's our article discussion. So this isn't necessarily news, but this is looking at things that help us uh, from a leadership, a communication, and an innovation perspective. So even though we're Business Security Weekly, we're still going to look at the the startup side of things, and this is our chance to do it. And one of the one of the first articles that we pulled up this week was if you're starting a transformation, don't change everything. Now here's what I love about this: when, when we discuss transformation with people, the way I've always explained it is. All transformation is change. Not all change is transformative. You can, you can do a temporary change. You can change your route. You can change direction. But transformation is something that's more permanent. The idea of a transformation is the way we're doing it is not working or the way we're doing it is working, but, but we're not growing. We're not getting better. We're not gaining the outcome we want. And so we start to un intake transformation. And I think what happens a lot of times, and uh, maybe, Paul, your experience has been different, but like we get so excited, right? So typically to be able to change, you've got to get to where your status quo is so uncomfortable that the discomfort of change is more exciting for you than the, the current situation that you're in. And the reality is that doesn't happen that often. And so what I see happening is by the time you build up that excitement, it's kind of like, all right, I want it. I don't want it all done right now. We're going to change everything now, now, now. And it almost never works. Uh, I would say that never works. Yeah. I was trying I can't to be nice, but I, I was going to say, I so can't think that, of a time where that works. Yeah. And so the first thing, so this, this article actually, I thought had a lot of really good uh, advice and insights in it. But the first thing it said is, and, and think about this for a second, because Paul, you and I have talked about this before too, relative to rip and replace. When you change anything in your environment, you're going to go slower at first. That's just, that's the nature of it. So what they're saying here is, you know, acknowledge and accept that when you're changing, people will move slower. Sometimes it's simple. It's just it's new tools, it's new processes, it's learning a new way of doing things. And other times it's just the uncertainty. Like I'm gonna go a little slower here because I don't know what's up. Because we're gonna we're gonna fight change. The second thing it talks about then is pay attention to the processes. 
and and think think about where you can influence that change. What I find a lot of times is that we'll lay out what we think makes sense as a process. We're excited about it. And then and then we just implement it and walk away. The trick there is pay attention to whatever you implemented because if it's not working properly, that's your chance. Go back, fix it. Take a look at it a different way. Ask other people for their input. Give them a little bit of agency or control back in that process. I think that goes a lot better. Third thing it says, and it lays out what they call uh, candid conversations. It lists out three different types of conversations. The first type of conversation they recommend is having a the team storyline conversation. And so the idea is ask them, right? In fact, what I like, I used to talk about this as a pathway. Where, where are you? Where are you going? It's not just the rah, rah, look at all the great stuff we're going to be able to do. It's actually saying, so what's the journey look like? What's it feeling? What, what are you guys going through? How's that feeling? You can talk about the new challenge conversation. People like this. Keep in mind, too, we like to have a sense of purpose. And so when you're working with somebody, right, we talked about this last week, Paul, when we said, you know, the what is important, but so is the why. Why are we doing this? How are things going to be better? What does that better tomorrow look like? You need to have that conversation. And then you have to have the conversation they call the realign the work conversation. And it's, so where are you? Like, how are you tracking your progress? How will you know that you've been successful? And I'll be fair. I think that's where most people kind of forget, like, it's the, this is what we're doing. This is why get on board, get on board, get on board. But I don't think we give a lot of open conversation to, so what's working? What's not working? How do you guys want to do it differently? What do we need to change? And I think it's a great time to be able to have those conversations. Just recognize that things initially are going to go a little slower so you can speed up a little bit later. I, I thought Jen made a, a really good point uh, about change that, yeah, it's scary, but also in the same breath, like don't change everything. And I think that's what this article is underscoring too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think she had, she had a good point, right? Don't change for the sake of change, but don't yeah. be afraid of change because that that's not going to get you anywhere either. Right? right. So like, I think if we said it differently, it's, it's changed smartly, you know, do, do change things that need to be changed. One of the things I've, I've really been enjoying and you and I've been talking about this a lot, Paul is uh, so you're a security leader today. You're managing somewhere between 35 and 70, maybe as many as 100 different vendors or solutions. Do you know the ones that are getting you any sort of results? Are, are you happy with those outcomes or the way that that's working? And if, the, you know, if, if you can't answer that, then you need to. And if the answer is some of them aren't performing well, well, okay, then, then what did you do about it? But that helps us question, like, why are, why are we doing this? If the answer is, I don't, I don't know, we've always done it that way probably worth exploring a change unless it's really working but so let's it's it's a, i blew the segue completely paul but uh, zero-based budgeting have you have you come across zero-based budgeting do you know what this is are you familiar with it no okay so zero-based budgeting it sounds scary to me it a lot of times it's kind of like when somebody says least privilege and they go oh, no I, but i need to do my job and we have to kind of walk them mm -hmm. through and say no no if we get it right it's the least amount of privileges no more no less it, you'll be you know it's goldilocks everybody's happy zero-based budgeting kind of works the same way so the idea is Instead of just going and blindly asking for money or taking your baseline, so my budget last year was X, I'd like X plus 3% or 10% or, or whatever. What you do is you look at everything in your environment and you start at zero. If I have nothing, what do we need? And so you're, you know, Paul, people would love this because it's going to, what problems do you need to solve? What are your priorities? What do you need to solve? And then what's it going to take to solve those? So what solutions do you need in place? What technologies? What resources in terms of team members or consulting or MSSP or whatever you have? And you build it all up so that you've essentially line by line defended everything in your budget from a zero base. You've gone at it and said, okay, this is what we need. So what we find is a lot of people, they get really fearful of this for a couple reasons. We go through these different exercises in organizations and people are like, 
we did it and then we didn't even stick to it. Why did we bother? What mm -hmm. a complete waste of time. And, and the, to counteract that here, the idea was first get over the fear of it. And I know a lot of us in security are terrified about this. And typically it comes out as a, well, what if I can't show that what we're doing is worth it? What mm -hmm. if what, I'm going to lose budget? No, 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 no. I'm getting what I'm getting. I, I don't want to get less. Uh, I've worked with a couple security leaders over the last decade that have done this. I've never had one lose budget as a result. They've always gained budget because when they go back and I can show you exactly what you at the business need and here's what it's going to take for me to achieve that and, and here's the but like it's a lot tougher to argue that or your priorities get realigned which leads us back to the last article it becomes a mindset and and that's one of the other points that this article makes and there's a lot in here so i'm i'm giving you the high level view the third part to this then is you need to collaborate with others so it's not just i did my zero base budget it's the do other people understand it? And what they start to show, Paul, is if you get this right, you get this right as an organization, you can reallocate resources more effectively. Now, a lot of times in security, we've been on the end of this where it's the, well, I had budget, but somebody somewhere else screwed up. Yep. And so now my budget's gone because everybody had a cut by 10%. What you find is if you're actually doing zero-based budgeting and other people are as well, that might be where you come in, right? We've talked about this before, the difference between budget and, and funding you might not have a budgeted item for whatever solution you just learned about, hopefully watching our program mm -hmm. or working with one You're of right. our partners. And so that's where you can go make the case for funding. If you understand zero-based budgeting, you can show everybody where it works. You can show the other teams where it works. And that's where suddenly there's some money available for it, especially it might be somebody else's budget and they didn't realize you could help them solve that problem. And, and I, I love those types of things. I'm a huge fan of zero-based budgeting. I, th I think it's absolutely fantastic. It's great whether you're a startup, you're a security team, you're working with other people. Um, it just it gives you the opportunity to go back and figure those things out. How do you do with time management, Paul? How do you manage your time, Paul? Other uh, than ask Sam. Poorly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I think a lot of us struggle with this. You know, I, I've uh, over the last year and a half of working with teams, I started to ask a lot of people, what do you do? How do you manage your time? And I was kind of surprised the most common answer was, what? Why are you as asking? I, I, don't, I don't manage my time. I'd say the second most popular was uh, by my calendar. And the third most popular is well, I have a to-do list. And so a lot of us then get kind of blown up because there's so much to do. We're so overwhelmed. When I used to keep a more active list, uh, I, I'd put 20 or 30 things on it. It was impossible. It'd be impossible to try to clear three. I've got 20 on it. And so what happens a lot of times then is we get over, overwhelmed in time management. James Clear does some, some absolutely great writing. Um, so this is a link to James Clear stuff. First thing he says is keep your focus, stay on track. We've talked about this a little bit, Cal Newport's deep work concept. But the idea is it's easy to get sidetracked. It's easy, right? Jen talked about it's easy to pick up your phone. It's easy to check Twitter. It's easy to check the email. It's easy to whatever else. Um, yeah, try to do less of that. Try to stay on track. I, starting's easy. Right now, I know we had an article last week that said starting is hard. Sometimes starting is hard, but starting new stuff is easier than finishing it. And the trick to manage your time better is don't start as much stuff. Don't check as much stuff. Don't have as much interruptions. Stay on station. Get it done. Second part is prioritize and execute. See, I almost think that should come first. Prioritize? Yeah. I'm like, with you. Know what that. you need to focus on and then go focus on it. Yeah, I like you it know? as a triplet, right? Clarify your focus. I mean, also, I think you're going to back up too and, and have some clarity to be able to figure out what you need to focus on. And you know it's, I mean? Yeah, like, like put like, the distractions aside. Your first step zero, right, is okay. What's the priority? What do I need to focus on? Yeah, and it, it, and it, I know it's going to come as a shock to you and everybody else. So the question I usually use there is, so what's the problem I'm trying to solve? Right. 
And if you have to it's make it off, that's where value comes the space, in. That's kind of the where we're in right now. <laughs> we yeah. need to just take a step back and figure out what... We're going to talk about a lot of things. And we have been. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been in the studio all week, and, and we've got a lot of stuff and, and have both kind of felt a little overwhelmed by parts of it. And so that's this is exactly the thing. And, and to me, that's always that triplet. You need to clarify your focus, prioritize your effort, and then you execute the best next step, right? Do the next thing, get it done, and then figure out the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And I think we'll be able to do that. The other part that it talks about here is, is reduce your scopes and, and focus on maintaining your schedule. The reduce your scope part is fairly common advice to me like take on less stuff cut cut more out and be pretty ruthless about it and i find that the more i do with that the better i get but mm. then it also said maintain your schedule and that's an interesting dimension and i'm going to start experimenting with that but the, but the point is ship 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 get it done don't don't say okay i can do a little bit better with it um but i need another week no no you said it was going to get done by thursday it's got to get done by thursday mm-hmm. oh it's gonna be a thousand word article but you don't have time well then it's gonna be a 500 word article right Although, frankly, it's, I think it's tougher to write a 500-word article than a 1,000-word article. Yeah, probably a bad example. Uh, I agree. In, yeah. in, in something, yeah, but, like, you know, so the idea is, is cut your scope down. Anyway, lots of insight in there. And if you're feeling overwhelmed and you feel like you're constantly reacting, you might get some tips out of that. Actually, I find that the shorter things you write, which often ends up on my to-do list, which you think it should be something quick, but, like, write a title for something. Titles now you've just said a, you said a thousand words, pretty easy. 500 words is harder, but now distill it down into an incomplete sentence. Yeah. Right? Like, an that's incomplete sentence that has a, a blend of emotion yeah. and, There's so much and, stuff that goes and into intrigue that. to yeah. get someone who's already busy and not able to pay attention to then want to pay attention. It's a reason why people spend so much time trying to craft their titles and why we get so cranky about clickbait. It, but. You know, in the 40 hours you might take or more to develop a presentation, an hour-long, 45-minute-long presentation, like if I added up the time where I've kind of stopped in developing content and thought about how does that play into the title, what the title should be, you know, it probably accounts for like five to 10% of my total time that's doing why the presentation that's why to successful. come up with the title. I, it's so, amazing to me the number of so people important. who skip that step and, and they don't take a look at it. Let's talk about ways to be a more confident speaker then. Oh, it's, it's all, a good, hey, look at that. That's it's all segue. about stories. It's all, it's all about the stories. That's not a surprise here. And, and the thing I, I'll point it out again, a lot of times when I work with people, I'll say, there are three elements to a story. What are they? And people always want to go beginning, middle, and end. Look, I get the history behind that. Um, unless you're really trained in that, that doesn't actually mean anything. It's characters, it's conflict, it's resolution. When you're talking about characters, it's emotion. We have emotions. I'll give you a classic example of what's not a story, but we do this in tech all the time. So-and-so is a system administrator. They had this problem. They bought my solution. Everything worked. It's not a story. That's a chronological listing of mm-hmm. events. Maybe it's a chronological listing of facts. If you want to tell me about somebody who's doing better or, or, or what it's like, or if you're using this internally on in your team, what's your emotion? Are you stressed out? Are you frazzled? Are you running from meeting to meeting? Are you putting out fires all the time? Do you feel like you're on this hamster wheel of reaction? And what is that doing to you? You're carrying a little extra weight. You're missing activities with your kids. You're working on the weekend. You're not sleeping as well. Maybe drinking a little bit more. Like what? What's your situation? And then the conflict. And people bristle at this, but conflict is is part of life. So what's your conflict? What was the? It, it's seldom the. Um, oh, I I want that uh, new solution. I'm going to get it. There's a conflict. You got to convince somebody else. You got to figure out where it is in the priority. You got to figure out if it really fits or doesn't fit or whatever else. And then there's an outcome. And the outcome is, so how are things better, right? Give me, give me what happened as a result. Mm-hmm. And typically when we tell stories, we want there to be a good outcome, but sometimes the answer is, and that totally didn't work. 
Okay. Well, there's a point to it. So here's here's the thing. We get so many people who, when they're when they're communicating with us, they they totally forget the stories. And so what this says is, hey, look, you gotta you gotta do stories and don't fear it. We're natural storytellers. Now I'm gonna go and say I think that's partially true. I think that our brains are wired for story. I think that though a lot of us along the way have gotten so used to being chronological and almost pulling so much of that emotion out that sometimes we struggle telling a story a little bit. But then you sit around and you're relaxed. Oh, the stories flow, right? Yeah, and I think a lot of time I mean, we could spend a lot of time. We could probably do a whole segment, a whole show on this. But well, we should. And you know, we have uh, Jason Blanchard's come out, yeah. and I think you and I have done segments on it. But I think creating that emotional um, connection to your audience, both to your story Absolutely. and more importantly to the characters in your story, there's a lot of other techniques that I find work really well in doing that. Starting your story. By saying something somewhat outlandish. Yep, that's a good way to right? do it. That's fine. Yeah, there's there's that helps ways create to do it. that create that connection. And when you describe characters, put elements that will connect it to your audience, so they have some emotional. It's my nitpicky thing when I watch movies and TV. Uh, I, I will almost always nitpick on. I, I don't have enough of an emotional attachment yep. to that character to care about what happens to them. Yep. Their character is too one-dimensional. Like if they're an ass. And that's the only thing you're showing me about that character is that basically they can be a jerk. Like there's no dimension to their character. And while I may have an emotional attachment and be angry at the fact that they're a jerk, like when something bad happens to them, I don't, I don't feel bad. Good riddance. Right? right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, it's the same thing. Well, so here's, if you haven't had a chance to look at this yet, in this article, they, they link to Kurt Vonnegut's, uh, who's a, a well-respected writer. He's got a whole presentation on the shapes of stories. And he's he's shown out the shapes of the stories. Yeah, and it's um, it's great stuff. I know too. Well, even easier. I mean, take a, a show or movie that you really like and figure out like why are you so in love? Breaking Bad's a great example. Yeah, why are you so in, in love with the Walter White character? Even though and, and I won't spoil it in case you haven't watched. Well, just it, the right? writing on that. You know, so just since you brought that up, what's fascinating when you look at stories and storytelling, they went into that knowing they were going to write about the total transformation of a yes. person. That is some of the best writing on television I think I've ever seen. But you can, uh, I somewhat nitpick on uh, his wife's character. Yeah. I thought it was too much, uh, like she was just a jerk, like basically the whole yeah, thing. There, there no, there were it. elements where maybe she wasn't, but for the most part, she was a jerk. And, and it was just the 10th anniversary. I feel like I was kind of surprised that it's been 10, yeah. 10 years. The other thing, too, that I like is if you ever watched Burn Notice, did you ever watch the series yeah. about the spies? You know what they were great at? They could take a concept that we would work on. They, they routinely got it down to a 30-second bit. If you could just go deconstruct how they could explain, like, check kiting, or they could explain yes. it. They, they, and they were typically pretty accurate. And the thing I'd always point out is to get to that 30 seconds, they probably spent 3, 4, 10, 12 hours. Yeah. Like, yes. really yeah. getting it yeah. right. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the thing. Here's the last bit. Relax and go with it. You know, you might be the funniest storyteller in the world. You might not. You can always learn how to structure your stories better. Structure, to me, is the gateway to substance. Um, but that'll kind of work it out. So relax. Go with it. Tell stories. I love it when people swap stories with you. And I think you'll get where you want to be. Which leads us into you don't have to be perfect. I thought this fit with our mindfulness theme of the day, Paul. I was just going to say, going back to relax and go with it, I think some advice based on some of the reading that I've been doing is if you can get your audience to empathize with you that's a huge part 
think about that when you're developing your presentations, right? Yeah, and, and keep in mind, and this was a lesson that took me a long time to figure out, but mo most people, or they've always said around eulogies, most people would rather be in the casket than up giving the eulogy. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have gotten comfortable in, in front of a camera or in front of an audience, but there's still those butterflies, mm -hmm. and we're all still pretty nervous about it. So get up there and be yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and create that empathy. And if you're in the audience, offer that speaker some empathy because they're up and they're trying. And, and they're trying to do the best they can. And maybe they don't need to be perfect. This is something I thought was interesting. So like I said, I thought this fit within our, our, our day. And um, I have been on more than one occasion uh, accused of being a perfectionist. I like to prefer it as somebody who pursues mastery, but it's probably just splitting hairs. Here's an interesting thing. When you're, when you're choosing perfectionism, you're afraid of making a mistake. And that creates fear. Fear creates paralysis. Paralysis creates bad decisions. And if you think that process through, what I find fascinating in security, Paul, is we don't like to be wrong mm -hmm. because the consequences of being wrong are typically unpleasant. Mm -hmm. And so that almost creates that desire to that we've always got to be right, which means that we want to be perfect. And that's not realistic. And I think we hold ourselves back with that. The other thing that this brought up, which was really important to me, is Stop searching for your value in others. This is something I figured out a number of years ago. I used to say it is this. If you don't recognize, right, recognize, if you don't recognize your own value, you will struggle to realize value in other people, other solutions, other things. And so a lot of times, and JJ was talking about this in terms of taking that pause and considering what was and wasn't said in the context of it all, I find a lot of times our value is wrapped up in external things in other people and we don't have a good sense of intrinsic value we don't have that security of value and and a lot of us are struggling with the value of security and that then creates this whole cycle and so part of it is take some time realize that what we're doing is is protecting important stuff we're not just the cost center we're here we're making a difference people are glad we're here security is important you're important and your value doesn't have to be tied up in somebody else necessarily recognizing it every single time. And that helps us avoid some of that desire for perfection. And, and then it has a whole bunch of other really good ideas in here, but I'm going to boil it down to if you can adopt the right mindset, you can go really far. And there's actually a book. So Paul and I have been doing books. Um, it's called Unbeatable Mindset. Mm -hmm. Unbeatable Mind. Unbeatable Mind. It, um, another a book from a former Navy SEAL unbelievable stuff really good i'm actually working back through it again so I, i'm working back through some of the books but that's one of the ones that i would absolutely recommend for this year and it, it helps you and in fact one of the things they talk about there a lot is breathing and mm -hmm. the ability to breathe and to calm yourself and to center yourself around it and stuff so um lots of stuff there to take a look at let's talk about news this week so FireEye, FireEye is in the news times too FireEye acquired x15 20 million dollars uh, and then they picked up or i'm sorry yeah for 20 million dollars and then they picked up 15 million in equity mm. um not a lot of context around the equity that I could tell, and so I'm not even going to waste my time speculating on it. But X15 is kind of interesting. So it's a, it was a software, uh, or it is. It's a big data management, and um, you know it's, it's machine-generated stuff. So if you're FireEye... They just bought some R&D. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And, and, but so keep paying attention to that, because even though you and I are going to say, well, are you using machine learning the right way? Do you understand the difference? Yeah, look, here's the thing. FireEye is sitting on a mountain of data. And one of the things we know uh, when we keep talking to our partners and we're talking to you is uh, alert fatigue and breach fatigue and all these other types of things. If anytime our systems can get smarter and give us better context for our content and better context for the alerts and help us prioritize our actions, right? We just talking, you can clarify the problem, prioritize it for me, I can execute faster. 
WatchGuard acquired Strongarm. So undisclosed amount. It made quite a bit of news this week. Uh, and this is, since we had to do that one mistake, this is WatchGuard uh, Technologies, uh, the red firewall company. Mm. We just had interviewed Todd O'Boyle on episode 65. So uh, I put the link in the show notes. You can go back. Fun conversation with Todd. Uh, I've known him for a long time. And, and I reached out to him with congratulations and congratulations, Todd, and the whole team. And he said, you know, when you're a startup founder, one of the things that you look for is, is there a place where my team can continue to do their great work? Like you're either looking for your next round, you're definitely managing growth, but you're looking for other people to do it. And he said it was a great fit. He's real excited about it. And he's excited about those next chapters look like. So uh, congratulations, Todd and team. And congratulations to WatchGuard. That's a, and, and I, you know, I think to me, I feel like if you look at WatchGuard, you look at Barracuda, you look at the fact now that we're starting to firmly move into people that are able to play in the SMB space, mm -hmm. people that are, are looking at rolling up more technologies and solutions into one. We're offering it as services. We're including education. Uh, I think it's good because it's an area where we're, we're watching targets go up and, and, and people, you know, the knowledge and the, op the options aren't accessible to them. I think this is just the beginning of a trend we're going to see more of. So your feeling is successful exit? I call it a successful exit. I mean, I don't, I don't know the details. The was, yeah, the details and amount. But in the, in the quick note, I got like with Todd. Serve, he yeah. was excited about it, um, and we know each other well enough. He's not going to BS me, mm. and uh, and I'll chat with him. Uh, I didn't get a chance today, Todd, but uh, I'll catch up with you in the next week. And if I get any more insights, we'll chat about it. Now, these next two that I put on this week, um, they're just more of that. Paul, watch this space. Pay attention to it. First Alert acquired Luma. First Alert. First Alert is the company that makes smoke. Detectors. Uh, they make other stuff too, but, th but they're known for their smoke detectors. And they just, inquired, they just acquired a company that designs and manufactures Wi-Fi routers for the household network. Yep. I think that's a brilliant play, actually. If you look at everybody now doing mesh networks and looking for easier ways to be able to manage stuff, um, and they want them to be aesthetically pleasing. And, like, to me, I think if you look at the success of uh, Nest, um, not just with the thermostats now, but with their smoke detectors. You look at this movement towards internet-connected devices. You look at this desire with, as we have more and more to have better connectivity across your house. That seems like a smart play to me. If nothing else, it's an interesting play to me. It'd be interesting to see who the category kings are that get their technology built into the house by default. Yep. In other words, when you build a house, this is what you get. And what are and you I required to have in a house today? You need, smoke detectors. You need smoke detectors. You need a thermostat. And everyone needs Wi-Fi today. Yeah. So why not when you go purchase a house or it's just, it's already there and it's, and it's built in. And I think that um, there's going to be some, some category kings that emerge. And I think one of those elements will be, this is the default in all the homes. And I also think that the security concerns around those are going to rise yeah. once we start seeing that essentially just Built in. And so if you're a company like First Alert and you're making your reputation on safety, yeah. then gosh, that's interesting because now, so if you're already doing that, that's not much than do home automation off of that. Oh, yeah. And all, so, so I, I, I think, think all these technologies are going to be I think it's how they slowly become becoming the default in, yeah. in being, and they're going to be more relevant in security because right now it's just like, well, yeah, who are the early adopters that are, you know, getting Luma and Eero and all these, you know, wireless systems? I think there's going to come a day. I'm not sure when, but there will be a day where everything's just there. Well, and on the same path then, ADT IPO'd this week. So we've, we've been covering that. And the reason we started paying attention and covering it was ADT had bought a managed services provider, MSSP, 
uh, I want to say it was Colorado, Phoenix. I, I should have looked it up. But anyway, th this was a couple months ago. We, I remember covering that and said, mm -hmm. this is really fascinating because now you have a traditional uh, physical security company, right? So uh, I don't know if ADT does guards, but they definitely do the cameras and the sensors and the monitoring and the subscriptions and everything around that. So wait, now they're, they're blending into the cyber. Totally made sense. Then they said, oh, by the way, we're going to IPO. So what's interesting this week is the plan was to bring in about $2.1 billion. They actually IPO'd, and it was listed by some as a stumble. They raised about $1.5 billion. So, you know, you're, you're off by $600 million. I mean, that's, right. that's a big difference. Well, it's, it's another play like the big cable companies to be the provider of all those things in the home. And I think we're going to see a lot of consolidation. I mean, yeah. the cable companies have already trying to say, well, if you're going to get internet from us, you should just get home monitoring yep. and thermostats and Wi-Fi and just, you know, just get all that from us. I think ADT is making the same play. Yeah. And they're like, hey, well, and the fascinating thing first is, one, like, get it all from us. ADT has a really big non-enterprise, well, I don't want to talk about their enterprise business, but they have a pretty big SMB focused yeah, business for as business well. Too, right? So now yeah, to just say, come in and do hey, we're you. already protecting right. you. Now we can protect your cyber information as well. And we can help you with your response. And so the fact that they just well, raised and, a billion and, and a half, it doesn't matter how the IPO actually went. Right. That'll correct itself in the marketplace. But we just listed to you two household names that are moving squarely into this space at a blistering pace. And the, I, there's going to be security ramifications for this, right? Like when Absolutely. new businesses start up now, like why wouldn't you as a business want a smart thermostat, make sure your pipes don't freeze and various levels of monitoring in addition to your security system, in addition to cameras, all that stuff's becoming so cheap. It's going to become a commodity. Which then means all we'll that crap is going to be network connected. We're going to give you better data. Better data means yeah. you're going to make better decisions in your house about heating, cooling. You're going to save money. You're going to feel safer. Everybody's going to be better with it. So then I'm going to come back to it. The reason that we get excited about these things, because we're looking at the leadership and the communication and uh, JJ covered that great today. But then when you look at the innovation, okay, so you're a CISO today. You're a security leader today. You're a business leader. You're interested in security. What are you learning by watching First Alert? What are you learning by watching ADP? What What are you, ADT? ADT. Thank you. ADP's ADP payroll is company. different. They're <laughs> probably doing a bunch of security stuff too, but uh, not well, not so much security, but on a different realm, they are very diverse. We actually use ADP for our our payroll now. So I think I don't know. We switched. Every company we can switches. Ask Sam. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> now it is ADP uh, today, and uh, yeah, they are in fact diversifying into other things that. Are security related? They help protect your your business, right? Yeah, I mean, because you're reaching that small business, and that's yeah. how you're going to scale. And you that's know, exactly what they're like. Hey, do you need? I don't know, insurance and uh, health insurance, building insurance, rent, whatever you need. Here's like, my takeaway: Do you need a, a policy for for this for your yep. employee? They, they and can help we you know enough that. about what you're doing that we can help you. Yeah. Here's my takeaway: uh, We talk with a lot of our partners, and we're looking at the success of being able for them to partner with other people to solve problems. Who can you partner with? Who who in your organization is mm -hmm. innovating that your two things together are better than if you guys were apart and it worked across the rest of the organization? It might be in your other part of the technology organization. It might be someplace different. But I think those are, that's why we share some of this. And we certainly pay attention so you know the trends. But then when you look at the trends, I think it's always a chance to look back at what you're doing and say, hmm, what could we do? What can we learn about that? So, Another episode, Business Security Weekly, in the books. Loved having you in studio, Michael. I loved as it. Always. It's fun. It's it, and guys, let's, we're going to do some behind the scenes at some point uh, in the next couple trips up. Uh, yeah. I wish you could I think see I was it. Holding a piece of wood up on the wall in the studio, <laughs> waiting for someone to go get a drill. I know. And I like, should have. Hey, like, we talked about this behind the scenes thing. It's actually pretty. 
pretty hilarious here behind we, the scenes. You know, Paul, listen, you, you put a lot of time and effort into the program. You put a lot of time and effort in, into the into it. I don't know if people understand, but th this is a completely professional setup. It's a blast to be here. It's a great team to work with. And, uh, you know, I'm excited about what we're going to keep doing in terms of bringing this type of stuff forward. We love it when you write in, um, and we'll keep operating on your suggestions. We've got uh, another suggestion up for a segment on how to answer the problem question properly. Uh, and I think it's great because you've pointed out a lot of people struggle with it. So we got that and more coming up. I will see you next week. Paul will be off next week. Yes. You'll be, you'll be chilling, playing some tennis in Hilton Head or something? Pretty much. Pretty much. That's, that's the plan. <laughs> put my so you, short tennis you, shorts on. You're coming on. south, uh, but we're not even going to get to see each other next week. And I'm going to come back up north. So we'll see you again. Uh, have a great week. Thanks, everyone, for listening and watching. See you next time.